I am not sure how I'm supposed to preach. Um, just um, thank you so much for your uh, kindness to me and and to my family. And uh, this is a, a very overwhelming. Um, I. I don't like being the center of attention, and um, and so I I feel pretty awkward right now. But um, I I am thankful that God, in His providence, allowed me to come here for these um, almost twenty one months. It'll be when you call your n- next pastor um, next weekend. It'll be twenty one months uh, to the day that I interviewed for the job, and. Um, I can tell you this, I, I am just thankful to the Lord that, that I've been able to play a small part uh, in, the, in the legacy and the life of First Baptist Church of Naples, which is such a great church. And, um, and, and, I, and I mean that not as an, like an institution or organization, I mean that as you, you're, you're the church. And, um, and so I've, I've been thankful to be able to serve you and I'm, I'm thankful for your kindness uh, to me and to my family. Um, if you would, let's go to the word, uh, we'll be, completing our study in Judges tonight, and uh, go to Judges chapter 19 and verse 10. We'll be there here in just a second. Uh, as you go there, I want to say uh, thank you to my friend, uh, Ben Kalarsik, who led worship for us tonight. Would you guys thank Ben for leading worship for us? Um, ben and I went to high school together, and uh, we are um, lifelong friends, and, and I'm thankful that he came and, uh, and he served tonight. And uh, he's, a, he's a, a recording artist, and he's um, a worship pastor out in Arizona, and he's just, a, he's just such a, a good friend. I'm thankful to have him here uh, tonight. And um, i tell you this, when we were in high school, when I was, when I was in high school, uh, it was my, I think, junior year. It was my parents went out of town. And as I've told you before, I've got three brothers. So there's four boys, and I have a twin brother. We're, we're the oldest. We were 17 years old. And my parents went out of town, and it was, it was probably like the first or second time ever that my parents went out of town, and they left us alone at the house. And so they were going to let us kind of take care of things, gave, gave me and Nate some money to take care of our younger brothers and, and get food and all that kind of stuff. And we decided to have a bunch of our friends over to the house. And so we had uh, a, a bunch of guys come to the house. There was probably, I think, a dozen or so guys that came to the house. And one of our friends, and, and uh, Ben knows him as well, uh, one of our friends, uh, his name was Brian, and he was kind of a, um, a joker, you know, kind of guy, but he was a, he was a skinny, kind of frail guy. And I don't know, it wasn't my idea, I'm sure, because I'm too, I'm too godly for that. But um, one of us had the idea, uh, about, a, about uh, half a mile from our house, there was a park that people would hang out in and, and, and run around. This is, you know, it was at night, about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And somebody had the idea that, hey, we're going to take Brian and we're going to tackle him and we're going to... I hate to, you know, it's my last night, so I can just, I, you know. Um, we're going to strip him down to his boxers, duct tape him, you know, his, 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 you know, wrists and stuff, 
and drive him to the park and toss him out and make him make his way back to the house. And so we did that. <laughs> we tackled him. We took some of his clothes off. We tied him up. We threw him in the car. We took him to the park. We pushed him out and made him run back the whole way while we were driving beside him and laughing, okay? You say, why would you do that? I have no idea, okay? Because teenage boys do stupid things. You know, that's, that's why we did that. And he ran all the way back to the house and we thought it was hilarious. And, um, but here's, here's the question I, I have for you. You guys, I've, I've told you several stories about my dad and uh, you guys have gotten to hear my dad preach. Do you think that there's any way that we would have done that if my dad and my mom were home. Like, there's, there's not any way on the, my parents, they, they're watching this, this sermon, they're like, man, why did we leave them alone? You know, because, <laughs> but here's the deal. When, when you have no authority, then stupidity and chaos can reign when there is no good and godly authority. And that's, that's the world that we're living in right now. Like one of the things, we're, we're in such a divided place as a country, but one of the things that both the right and the left agree on is that our country's in trouble. And that's one thing that everybody agrees on. We've got over the last 21 months, you know, we've had a global pandemic, we've had protests, we have mass shootings, we have racial tension, we have mistrust of police, gender confusion, all of these different things that are going on in our country. And it's, it's very easy for us as Christians and as the church and as believers to, to criticize those things and to uh, you know, bemoan those kinds of things. But here's the problem that we're gonna look at tonight oftentimes we're not really all that different from the world around us. Oftentimes we look just like the world around us. We don't like authority and we don't like doing what authority tells us to do any more than anybody else. We, we go home just like everybody else and complain about our boss or complain about our teachers or complain about our coaches or complain about our pastors. We're not really all that different. Complain about the government. And we're going to see here tonight, just like Israel at the end of the book of Judges. At the end of the book of Judges, there's, there's two appendices or conclusions to the book of Judges that show us that the people of Israel wanted to live life on their own terms. They didn't want any authority. They didn't want to do what God wanted them to do. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And uh, the end of that was disastrous. And we, again, we can look around us in the the world around us and see doing life on your own terms and not doing life God's way is disastrous. But we're also seeing that in the church. So here's what happens at the end of the book of Judges. See if any of these things sound familiar to us. There's unchecked sin, there's theft. The people of God are trying to manipulate God to, to, to get him to do what they want him to do. And so they have the, the form of religion, but their heart isn't in it. They have a pastor who is a hireling who loves money more than he loves the sheep. I'm thankful that we're going to get introduced to tonight to a guy, my friend Alan, who, who loves the sheep more than he loves 
success or any of those other things, but that's what's happening in the life of the people of Israel. The people of Israel are disobeying clear directions from God, from his word about what they are supposed to do and not supposed to do. You got the people of God in the end of the book of Judges who are trying to get a pastor to bless their sin. And they go to the pastor as a, as a last ditch effort to say, hey, what we're doing is right. Why don't you sign off on it? You have a people there at the end of the book of Judges who failed to reach the next generation with the gospel. In fact, you don't have time to read all of this, but we see at the end of the book of Judges that Moses' grandson is somebody who is not walking with the Lord. You have, at the end of the book of Judges, people who think that they have the favor of God when they don't. It's because they are doing what they want to do, not what God wants them to do. So here's what I want us to see at the end of the book of Judges tonight. If you want to end up like everyone else, don't make Jesus your king. If you want to end up like everyone else, don't make Jesus your king. The end of the book of Judges, again, we've seen in the book of Judges this spiral downward where things are getting worse and worse and worse for the people of God. And we're going to read here in just a second that at the end of the book of Judges, the nation of Israel has become just like Sodom and Gomorrah. They've become just like Sodom and Gomorrah. This story we're going to read here in just a second just to kind of give you the, the context because we can't read all of it. There's a Levite, a priest, who has a concubine. And a concubine is kind of like um, a girlfriend or a wife that's property that you just use for what you want to use her for and you're not trying to serve her or love her. You just, you just have her to use her for what you want. And this concubine leaves the Levite and goes back to her father's house and so her husband comes after her to get her and to take her back home. And when they leave from the father's house, they leave late, okay? They leave late at night. And so let's see what happens. And I just wanna say this as we get ready to read God's word. Um, I'll probably say some things that are controversial tonight, maybe here in the next few minutes, but nothing's gonna be more controversial than actually what we read from the Bible. And so... Um, if you want to get upset about what we're reading, like this is going to make my Easter sermon look really tame, okay? <laughs> but these are the word, that, like these are like God's words, not mine, all right? So just want to give that disclaimer up front, all right? If you would please stand to your feet out of reverence for reading the words of God. We're going to read Judges chapter 19, verse 10, and we're going to go all the way down through verse 30. This is what God's word says. They're traveling back uh, from the, the father's house. Here's what he says. But the man would not spend the night. He rose up and departed, arrived opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. He had with him a couple of saddled donkeys and his concubine was with him. When they were near Jebus, the day was nearly over and the servant said to his master, come now, let us turn aside to this city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. His master said to him, we will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gibeah. He said to his young man, come and let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night at Gibeah or at Ramah. So they passed on and went their way. 
And the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gibeah. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. And behold, an old man was coming from his work in the field at evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was sojourning in Gibeah. The men of the place were Benjaminites. And he lifted up his eyes, and he saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, Where are you going, and where do you come from? And he said to him, We are passing from Bethlehem and Judah to the remote, remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, from which I have come. I went to Bethlehem and Judah, and I'm going to the house of the Lord, but no one has taken me into his house. We have straw and feed for our donkeys with bread and wine for me and your female servant and the young man with your servants. There is no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace be to you, I will care for all your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, Bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now, violate them, and do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them, and they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the door of the house and went out to go on his way, behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, Get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. And he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife. And taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, Such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. This is a, an incredibly graphic and tragic picture of what's happening in the life of the people of Israel. And the reason why it's happening, listen to what the Bible says and. Judges chapter 21 and verse 25. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Four times at the end of the book of Judges that phrase is used, that there was no king in Israel and that the people are doing what they want to do rather than what God wants them to do. And so we're gonna see tonight, very quickly, if you wanna end up like everyone else, don't make Jesus your king. 
And so this story, just, just to kind of explain what's happening and then what happens afterwards. Again, they're, they're traveling home. They can't get home because it's late. They don't want to stay in Jerusalem, which at the time is, is foreign territory. The Jebusites lived there. He says, no, I don't, want to live, I don't want to stay with these foreigners. I want to stay among my own people, among the Israelites. And so let's go on to Gibeah. And they go on to Gibeah, and then they're shown no hospitality. Again, if you go read in the book of Genesis about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you read the account here in Judges 19, they are almost uh, exactly similar. They are, they are parallel. So you have these travelers who are coming through. They're being shown no hospitality. Only an old Ephraimite uh, man who doesn't live there, he's, he, just like Lot, he's not, uh, it's not his like hometown, comes along, sees them there, doesn't want them to stay in the town square at night, which shows you the condition of the, of the city that they are in. And so he brings them into his house. And then the men of the city, just like in Sodom and Gomorrah, come to the house, bang on the door, and they want to violate the man that has come into the town. Just like Lot, the old man protests and says, don't do this wicked thing. And then he offers his, his daughter and the, the Levite's concubine as a substitute, which they reject. And they don't want to do that, but then the the priest, Levite, throws his concubine out the door, and then she is treated in ways that I don't even want to think about or describe, and she falls down dead at the, the porch of the house, and he takes her home, and he cuts her into 12 pieces, and he sends those 12 pieces out to the 12 tribes of Israel. What ensues after that is a civil war. The 11 tribes come against the tribe of Benjamin and they go to war with them because Benjamin won't give up the men who have done this. And so God judges all of Israel, all 12 tribes by mutual losses and, and deaths in the war. And it ends with the 11 tribes almost wiping out the entire tribe of Benjamin and then setting the town on fire. So again, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, it talks about the, the smoke rising up to heaven. The same thing happens in Gibeah. The smoke rises up to heaven. And there's only 600 men left in the tribe of Benjamin. When that happens, the people of Israel come before God and they, they have this remorse. They're like, God, what's happened? I mean, that's a stupid question. Like, you've done this. And now you're asking the Lord, like, why is this Happening, And then the challenge is the, the people of Israel don't want this tribe to die off. And so they have a, you know, a, a sticky situation, but they also made a vow that they're not going to let any of their daughters marry these 600 men from the tribe of Benjamin. And so they're at kind of in a quandary. They've made this, this foolish vow. And so here's the solution. You read the end of the book of Judges. I mean, it only gets worse and worse and worse. First thing they do is they vow to kill anyone who didn't help them in the Civil War. And so Jabesh Gilead, we're looking at you. And so they go out and they begin to wipe out the people of Jabesh Gilead. And then they take the, the, uh, some of the, uh, again, they, they kill men, they kill wives, they kill their children. Only, they only keep alive the girls who are of marrying age and they give them to the Benjaminites, but it's not enough. And so here's what they do. There's a, there's a festival that takes place in Shiloh where, where women come out and they, they, they go to this festival. And so the, 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 the plan is 
They go to the people of Benjamin and say, hey, listen, when the, when the festival happens at Shiloh, you guys that don't have wives, go out there, kidnap the girls that are coming to the festival, and then make them be your wife. And so an assembly that gathered together to execute justice for one girl who was raped says, here's the solution to the problem. Let's plan the kidnapping and rape of hundreds of other girls. And that's the end of the book of Judges. And the reason why it's happening is because there is no king in Israel and everyone is doing what is right in his own eyes. And this is a perfect picture of the world that we have around us, a world that has rejected the authority of God, that has rejected the word of God, and is doing what is right in its own eyes. Just like at the end of the book of Judges, we see in our world sexual sin, adultery, pornography, divorce, gay marriage, gender confusion, women being objectified. We see children being killed. We see abortion. We see racial division. We see people who say we need to defund the police. We see political division. We see uh, no border and, and people being able to come across uh, at willy-nilly. We see cancel culture, all of these different things that we see running amok in our country and they're troubling and they're, uh, they're just evidence of uh, a country and a, a world that is doing what is right in its own eyes and not in God's eyes. Here's the deal. It's easy for us as Christians to preach to the choir and to talk about how everybody outside of these walls is, are doing things that are bad. That's really easy for us to do. There's a long list of things that we can draw from. My concern as a Christian preacher is that we ourselves, the church, aren't really all that different. Like that's my concern here is like, you think about the book of Judges, God's not condemning the Canaanites. He's condemning his people, the Israelites, because they're no different from the people around them. And they're doing exactly what the people around them are doing. And that's the same thing that is true about us as the people of God, as the New Testament people of God. We are doing what is right in our own eyes and we have become like the culture rather than influencing the culture. We do this in two ways. One of them is very obvious. The other one's not so obvious. Okay, we do this in two ways. One, by capitulating to the behavior that we see around us. And then two, by copying the methods of the culture around us. We talk about the first one, capitulating. When it comes to sexual ethics and what the Bible says about what God's design is for sex and it's one man and it's one woman in marriage for a lifetime, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is capitulating on that. And we're seeing rising numbers, especially among our young people, rising numbers of people who are called evangelical Christians who are departing from what the Bible has revealed about marriage and are saying, you know what? I know what the Bible says, but maybe it doesn't mean it that way, and, and maybe these other things are okay, and we see that rising, especially among our teenagers and younger. They are embarrassed of and reject the sexual ethics of the Bible when it comes to heterosexual 
monogamous marriage. We are capitulating with the culture when it comes to pornography. Just as many people in the church addicted to pornography as people in the world. When it comes to divorce, almost as many people in the church get divorced as people in the world. We've got churches and we've got Christians who are embarrassed by conservative theology. We've got churches and Christians who are embarrassed by conservative politics. And we are capitulating and we are, we are mimicking and mirroring the behavior of the world around us. John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, talks about the outworking of this, uh, the outworking of apostasy, and he says this way, he says it this way, those people who walk away from the Lord, they begin to find fault with Christians, picking holes in the coats of the godly because of some weakness which they fancy that they've seen in them. Then they begin to associate with the worldly, the loose and evil-minded people, they also give way to carnal, lustful, and immoral practice in secret and seek to find such practice in those who are counted true that they may say that they are their example. After this, they play openly with sin. Then being hardened, they show themselves as they are, downright wicked. Now being bogged down again in the gulf of misery, they perish forever in their own deceiving unless a miracle of grace prevents it. And so we as a church, the church in America, is capitulating to the behavior of the world around us. But not only that, the other way that we see the church of Christ compromising with the culture is by copying the methods of the culture. We are fighting with each other as much as the world around us. We are as divided as the world around us. We are engaged in canceling one another just like the world around us. We are engaged in boycotts just like the world around us. Remember a couple years ago I saw a church in Dallas that Christmas time had a thing that they, they put a website together called the Grinch List. And what the Grinch List was, was people from the church identifying the businesses in town that said happy holidays rather than Merry Christmas. And they put their, their name on a website, the Grinch List, so that all the people in that church would know not to go to those businesses. Can I tell you how many people they won to Christ through that? None. We're engaged in all of, again, it may be a different aim, but all the exact same methods and weapons that the world uses, that's what we're doing. In the same way that we as the, the church, we give our own a pass, people that we like and we agree with, when they do something stupid, we give them a pass and say, well, you should really kind of understand their motives. We do just like the world, when the world you know, tries to, protect their own and criticize those who are not their own instead of calling balls and strikes. We're giving in, into that as a church. And just like Israel, you become like what you worship. People of Israel have been worshiping Canaanite gods and so guess what they become like? They become like Canaanites. We're seeing this in the church right now. Christians who worship political power and so guess what they become? They become like those who desire political power above all else. 
Christians who worship acceptance by the culture. And so guess what they become? They, they start acting like and doing all the things that the culture around them does. Here's the, here's the thing that I would say. You say, John, you seem pretty down on the church. Yeah, I get disappointed and frustrated with the church often, but I do not lose hope. And the reason why is because the book of Judges has shown us that despite the compromise of the people of God, God over and over and over again is merciful to his people. And what we see at the end of the book of Judges, we just read, the issue here is that there's no king in Israel. So everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. And so this is what the book of Judges points us to. We don't despair because the book of Judges is pointing us to Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the hope of the world and he is the hope of the church. The answer to the brokenness of the book of Judges, we find in the book of Ruth. Let me just read this to you as we close. This is what the book of Ruth tells us. In those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahalan and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Mahalan and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Listen to what the Bible says in Ruth chapter 4. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So God, in his mercy and in his grace, despite the fact that his people had rejected him, he gave them a king after his own heart, David. And we have the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our king, who is our savior, and that we need to bow our knees to. If you want to end up like everyone else, don't make Jesus your king. But if you wanna be different, if you wanna thrive, if we want to show the world the, the balance of grace and truth, love and righteousness, mercy and holiness, then we need to give our lives and bow our knees to Jesus the Christ. We have a better king and a better priest than we see at the end of the book of Judges.
This Levite, you know what he does? Is he sacrifices his bride to save himself. Jesus sacrificed himself to save his bride. And because of that, our lives can be changed and made new in Jesus Christ. And the only way that you will become all that God wants you to be as an individual, as a family, and as a church is if you bow your knee and you give your allegiance to Jesus and you say, whatever it is that you tell me to do, I'm gonna do. We ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna stand and sing for just a few minutes and have a time of response. And if you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never made Jesus the king of your life, then we wanna invite you to do that tonight before you leave. And let me just tell you this, if you will give your life to Jesus, if you'll say, man, I, everything I have, everything I am, I'm surrendering it to Jesus to be my savior, to be my king. He'll forgive you for everything that you've done, every way that you've rejected him, he'll forgive you. He'll give you a brand new start He'll make you part of his family and he's gonna take you to be with him when you die. And so if you need to give your life to Jesus, then I wanna challenge you tonight. There's gonna be pastors here at the front who would love to talk to you and who would love to share with you how Jesus can make a difference in your life tonight. Now, if you're in the room and you've made Jesus king, but there's ways that you recognize I'm not, I'm not following him and I'm not submitting to him the way I should. Maybe for you that's baptism. You've trusted Christ, you've made him king of your life, but you've never followed him in baptism, then you need to be baptized. Maybe it's, you're not a part of a church, you're not a member of a local church, then you need to become a, a member of a local church. We'd love to have you at ours. Maybe it's some sin in your life or you're, 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 you're recognizing, man, I'm, I know the, what the Bible says, but here's what I'm doing with my life. And this is a time for you to confess that, to ask the Lord for his forgiveness for that and to ask him to help you by the power of his spirit to turn away from that and to walk towards Jesus and what Jesus has for your life. So whatever it is that the Lord's laying on your heart that you need to do tonight, this is the time to respond. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus and I thank you, Lord, that no matter how bad things may get in the world and no matter how bad things may get in the church, Jesus is king. He is gracious, he is merciful, he is loving. And he offers a brand new start tonight. And so Lord, we ask that you would help us to bow our knee to Jesus as individuals, as families, and as the church called First Baptist Church Naples. Would we be different from the world so that the world can see the difference that Jesus makes? We ask this in Christ's name, amen.